Hello and welcome back to Burning Questions. My name is Mbali and I welcome you to another episode of Burning Questions. Um, today I have an amazing um, uh, guest. Uh, his name is Russell Lambetti from Sakhalika. Um, He's the chief economist um, at Sakhalika actually. And if you guys remember, I think two weeks back I had uh, Pete Leroux also from Sakhalika. So I think we're fans of you guys. <laughs> we're, we're fans of you guys. Um, Russell, can you maybe tell us more about um, what you do at Sakhalika and what Sakhalika basically is about? Hi, Bali. It's great to be with you. Yeah, so Sakhalika is a, a business advocacy group um, mm -hmm. we are a non-profit organization we have about 11 to 12,000 members mostly small uh, and medium mm -hmm. businesses but also some large business members our members fund us to to do two main things the first is to defend the commercial environment against bad state and government policy um, that's through uh, mainly through litigation and court cases, but also through advocacy work, sharing our opinions, uh, changing the public narrative, very much like what you guys are doing at the at the Freedom yeah. Advocacy Network. And then the other side of what we do is uh, we are looking to build alternative private institutions that allow our members, but the, the commercial environment generally and the business environment generally, to be protected from uh, state policy and state failure. Um, mm. So we call it state proofing, uh, state proofing mm -hmm. the business environment against really poor policy and, and also state failure, uh, whether it be, um, you know, the, the lack of electricity, the lack of energy, yeah. municipal failure, uh, the failure of the courts. Uh, so a very concrete example of this is just this week we've announced um, uh, private mutual um, arbitration uh, an arbitration process that allows commercial disputes to be settled mm -hmm. not in courts but actually in a private arbitration process overseen by yeah. senior counsel advocates because the courts at the moment are so clogged up and so um, inefficient that unfortunately yeah. commercial disputes can't be resolved so mm -hmm. that's just one example of the kind of proactive work we're doing as well yeah all right uh you guys are, are doing the lord's work if i must say <laughs> all right let's get into today's question um and it's a two-part question uh the first part of it is what is actually meant by reducing red tape in south africa so you know you might hear analysts asking or politicians throwing, throwing around the word um red tape and what is it actually what does it actually mean let's start there one word uh, bureaucracy. So red tape is bureaucracy. Mm. And bureaucracy is unnecessary uh, interventions in in process um, that that you simply do not need. I mean, I suppose at some level, there's necessary bureaucracy, but we have an, okay. an over proliferation of bureaucracy um, in our government yeah. departments. And red tape is really all the unnecessary inefficient wasteful bureaucracy that exists yeah. whether it be in a licensing process sometimes uh, we should get rid of the licensing requirement for a particular area altogether because that in itself yeah. is just the state granted privilege uh, in a kind of socialist system but if mm -hmm. there is legitimate licensing processes they should be highly efficient most of them should be done online nowadays yes. um, and 
core to to red tape in Bali is the existence of a bureaucracy for its own sake, mm. uh, to give people bureaucratic jobs, to spread yeah. money around from from the taxpayer. And so what you end up doing is what the government does is it loads up these departments with completely unnecessary jobs. Mm. It delays automation so that it can hire people um, and uh, it doesn't invest in great technology to allow yeah. the uh, administrative process to be done efficiently and, and, and uh, at low cost. So I think, I think when we're looking at the problem of red tape, I mean, at one level, it's a technical problem. Mm -hmm. um, but at a deeper level, it's a political problem. Uh, you've got yeah. you've got politicians hiring people, and and you've got these bureaucracies existing for their own sake as mm. as as employment programs essentially. Whereas yeah. what should be happening is these uh, bureaucracies should be run at the minimum possible cost, at the highest possible efficiency, mm. because they actually make the processes. Um, possible to start businesses to invest you know to run the legal system to run home affairs to run all the systems that we need in place to actually get the economy moving in the right direction and creating yeah. business opportunities and that's where the jobs will come from we've unfortunately front loaded it into the bureaucracies yeah and that's what red tape is so so solving the problem is is much more than a technical issue and it's much more than just a politician coming in and saying i'm going to cut red tape yeah. Because what he or she has to do is really change a, a, a bureaucratic and political culture mm. um, at, at quite a deep level. Um, and of yeah. course, this is not just a South African problem. We have out of control bureaucracies mm. just about everywhere in the world. So it's yeah. a bureaucratic yeah. political culture that's unfortunately very, very pervasive. So it's, yeah. a, it's a deep issue that we have to solve, um, but really important that we that we are able to figure out ways to bypass um, uh, sclerotic and, and choking bureaucracy. It really is a, a way for, for stagnation and for growth to, to kind of die. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Quite a sad, sad one there, it's just that there's a lot of work to be done. Um, let's move on yeah. to the second part of the question, um, which is what are the actual laws and policies that need to change in South Africa? Yeah, well, this is a whole. This is probably a two-hour podcast in Bali, but uh, but to keep it brief, yeah, I think I think the first part of the answer it's a similar structure to the answer I've just given you in the sense that mm -hmm. there's a there's a technical sort of intellectual aspect to which policies should or shouldn't change, mm -hmm. and then there's kind of a political reality um, yeah. as to whether they will or, or, or you know how they would do that. Mm -hmm. So in one sense, um, we can talk, so we can certainly talk about what needs to change. Um, and I suppose we could hope that through the political process, through pressure groups, through civil society, through um, just the reality of, of South Africa in a, in a being, being a stagnant economy with very little growth, mm -hmm. that, that, the, that the powerful politicians, that the people in positions of policy making see our perspective and change policy um yeah. failing that we kind of are left on our own a little bit to do what i suggested sakalika is doing which is to kind of start creating an institutional framework and environment where we can be as much insulated from bad state policy as possible mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah within reason um so that's kind of the big picture answer at a at, at a lower level at a, at a sort of theoretical level, I think mm -hmm. 
I think that what we would want to see from from the state is a radical decentralization of political authority and political decision making. Mm. Um, it's not that I think there should be one particular type of economic policy or type of social policy for the whole of South Africa. I think mm -hmm. really healthy political systems have the ability to differentiate across regions, across provinces, across municipalities. Mm -hmm. uh, we see this in a system like the United States. Switzerland has a, has a system similar to this. Um, and so decentralizing political authority and decision-making power away from Pretoria and away from these big national departments. Uh, so policing would be a very good example. Um, the yeah. most effective policing, and this has been shown for hundreds of years, happens within communities by community police. Yeah. Community police invested in their communities, accountable to yes. their communities, with budgets that are appropriate and with um, methods and and kind of resources that are appropriate to their to their local communities. Yeah, definitely. Um, so policing could be a decentralized function. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, energy provision should be radically decentralized. We've we've centralized yeah. energy provision in ESCOM, and that disallows the economy from growing. Even if we got investment from yeah. overseas, we couldn't build enough factories because um, uh, we, we couldn't cope with the factories we build because mm -hmm. they would draw too much energy and we, the, the economy would fall over. Yeah. So we need to decentralize energy provision uh, to, the, to the provincial level, to the municipal level. We need to privatize um, the, the energy market. Um, so, so safety and security needs to be radically decentralized and energy provision yes. needs to be centralized and privatized. Mm -hmm. Now, look, there's many other things we can talk about. There's so yeah. many policies um, in South Africa and Bali that are, that are poor. Um, I think BEE has, has caused a lot of misallocation of capital. I think it's caused mm -hmm. a lot of wealth to flow um, in, into areas where it shouldn't be. I think it's caused mm -hmm. tremendous inefficiencies in the economy it's very unhelpful that we have the government yeah. talking about expropriation of land and property that's deterring investment in and of itself um, yeah. so of course we could talk about that as well but just to keep it kind of at a, at a at a at a high level i think that we've got to get south africa safe again yeah yeah and we've got to keep the lights on and keep, keep the, the lights on system going. yeah um, without that without that it, you know we simply we simply don't have a viable society to be blunt, mm. um, and so I think that's absolutely critical that uh, that that civil society puts enormous pressure on the government to to relinquish its control of energy mm. and to relinquish its control of policing, uh, which, as we saw in KwaZulu Natal in July, mm -hmm. is basically a broken government function. The, yeah. the, the state police provided virtually no protection to communities in those riots, At all. Um, and mm. so and so we have a. a basically illegitimate and and uh and ill-capacitated um uh police service yeah. that, that yeah. needs to change radically so those those are the sorts of things i would focus on if we're talking if we're talking big policy change definitely um let's go into the quote of the day um which is very very interesting because it ties in very well with what we're talking about we'll share it just now so the quote of today reads, um, this is from Chris Harting, and it's, the truth is that in countries where people are freer, they tend to do better. 
and their families and communities benefit from the innovation and wealth creation that accompany more economic freedom. Um, Russell, I think it ties in very well with what we were saying that, you know what, um, some of these policies need to be scraped and give the individual the power to, you know, to have a choice, give communities the power to, you know, um, to fend for themselves, stop having these policies that um, do not yeah. allow them. Yeah. So what do you think of this quote? Well, it's it's a great quote, but I'm biased because uh, I like Chris. I'm a good friend of Chris. Um, <laughs> so no, but he he's absolutely correct. And um, yeah. you know, I think I think we need to we need to uh, more and more we need to inculcate this this narrative that a lack of economic freedom is really a a distrust of the people by the ruling elites. Essentially, yes. when you strip people of economic freedom, uh, as we have done in South Africa for many decades, and certainly in the last, yeah. uh, the last 10, or 10 to 15, 20 years, um, you, you're essentially saying that you don't trust the people of South Africa, you don't trust yeah. communities, you don't trust households to make good decisions for themselves. Um, and yet, the, the the evidence is absolutely overwhelming. Yeah. That when you have um, a, a a moral government who 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 administers um, just laws efficiently, that doesn't become overly bureaucratic and just and just allows a good structure for society to be free and to flourish and to produce goods and services and to allow for that innovation mm. um, and that and that wealth creation that that Chris talks about in that quote the results are are you know absolutely tremendous yeah. um, South Africa is made up of many different uh, communities many different cultures and, and languages uh, that creates um, it, it makes us a complex society, but it, what it also yeah. does is is create very many um, opportunities for for innovation, for value creation, for mm. different methods of doing things. Yeah. Different uh, different communities um, have have various different skills to offer into the economy. Yeah. And really, if we if we allowed um, a considerable amount of free trade, we would get I think tremendous innovation. Uh, we would get tremendous upskilling of, of you know, previously disadvantaged communities and undereducated communities as well. Um, mm. Those, you know, that upskilling doesn't have to take place in schools and universities. It can take place, you know, on the job. It can take place yeah. in companies. It can take place yes. through, through, you know, through those kinds of mechanisms. So really, um, yeah, we we would obviously love to see it, you know, tremendous amount more economic freedom. Again, the fact that we don't is a is a real politic a problem of political culture, a problem of of you know the, the kinds of ruling elites and the kind of ideology that governs South Africa. Mm. And we've got to hopefully be able to push back against that in numerous ways. And and one of the ways is advocacy and trying to change people's minds and trying to change people's thinking on mm -hmm. what's in their best interests. Um, and we've got to try and convince people through good arguments, not through force, yeah. that uh, what's in their best interests is to have a free system where yeah. um, where value can be created and where people can find their niche, their the thing that they do best, and then offer mm -hmm. that to society on the yeah. marketplace, whether it's an entrepreneur or, or in, in, a, in a job that people can get, allow investments to take place and allow that kind of job creation. 
and yes if we if we could uh, get back to a system like that uh, okay. it would be tremendously beneficial for South Africa yeah definitely and I think with the work that Sakhalika is doing uh, we, we might get there <laughs> we're very so look it's it's uh, it's up to us it's up to you guys it's up to all the other civil society groups and um, we've just got to keep doing our best to to change people's minds um, yeah. and to build resilient communities that can start uh, taking responsibility for themselves and really start stepping in to the gaps that the government is leaving because mm -hmm. the government uh, is really just failing in so many ways yeah that's a that's bad news but it's good news for for those who can step into those gaps of governance and mm -hmm. provide another form of governance yeah. and provide order in the commercial uh, uh, structure and in the commercial space uh, not just commerce but also societies communities schooling you know all these kinds of things mm. um, the more that people can step up and step into those vacated realms that government has just left yeah. left us with yeah. um, you know the more we can kind of claim back ownership for for our communities and for our economy yeah. and I suppose in the long run that's kind of how we're gonna uh, get this back from a from a failing government uh, potentially but um, it's also important that we that we that people's minds are changed and so that we're able to put popular pressure on the government to change as well mm -hmm. that's that's another avenue of of change so we've got to we've got to try all the avenues of change that we can so that we can uh, produce flourishing communities and a flourishing commercial order yeah definitely and while we're still on that uh where can people find your work if people want to read up more on what you guys do where can they do that so they can go to our website which is sakeliche.co.za mm -hmm. um, and they can look at the kind of work we're engaged in they can look at the campaigns we're engaged in um we're in the process of a, of a website revamp so that'll be ready uh, early next year but it's still a perfectly good website for them to go and look at now. They can look at membership options if they want to support our work. Um, mm -hmm. That would be great. Uh, and so sakalicha.co.za. Um, and there's a, it's an Afrikaans website is the homepage, but there's an English version of the website, which they'll easily yes. find um, there at the, at the homepage. And they can, so for English speakers, they can navigate the website there and mm -hmm. see what we're up to. So that's, that's how people can find us. Cool. All right. Um, Russell, thank you so much. Um, this, was a, this was a great show. <laughs> really enjoyed it. Um, and for you at home, I hope your question was answered. And remember to catch us every six, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. rather um, on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. Um, remember, your freedom is worth fighting for.